At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Amanda Midkiff of Locust Light Farm to talk about her experience with growing medicinal herbs. Amanda is a medicinal herb farmer and herbalist in New Hope, Pennsylvania. She has been an organic vegetable farmer for six years before making the switch to growing herbs, and she's been happily surrounded by their beauty ever since. When she's not farming, Amanda enjoys teaching yoga, reading, writing poetry, and sipping coffee in diners. Welcome to the show today, Amanda. (laughs) Hi, Greg. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thank you for being here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? I would love to, yeah. Well, when I was in college, I went to Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I was very interested in working with agricultural trade legislation between the oh, U.S. In, and Mexico and Central uh-huh. America. I was interested in working with free trade, fair trade, NAFTA, and I wanted to advocate for South American or Central American, Mexican, South American growers' rights. So I focused most of my studying when I was in school on you know, Spanish sociological issues and really geared it towards legislative issues. Uh-huh. I had this I, grand idea during my freshman year that I should learn what life was like for a vegetable grower. Uh, My mother's family had been dairy farmers, so I had this sense of what it felt like to be someone who made their living from livestock, and I wanted Uh to learn about plants because I didn't know what it felt like to be connected with them in that way. Right. So the summer after my freshman year of college, I volunteered on an organic vegetable farm in my hometown, which I did not know, but it was actually one of the oldest CSAs in New Jersey. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, and I volunteered there, and I loved it. And so the summer after, I decided to do a full internship there. And from then on out, every winter, I went through this huge, you know, emotional anguish of whether or not I should get um, like a law internship or do or farm again. Uh And I could just like I simply could not fathom the idea of being inside during the summer. So every (laughs) year I chose farming. And then um, after I graduated, a friend who I met at that first internship invited me to come be her manager at a CSA in the Poconos. And... I accepted. And while I was there, I thought, you know, who am I kidding? I want to be a farmer. Like, and so I finally accepted that truth to myself um, and became a farmer full time. So while I was um, working at that first farm, someone mm-hmm. who worked there with me taught me how to harvest nettles, uh, to drink nettle oh, tea. Oh, right. And I started drinking nettle tea and I always used to have horrible indoor allergies to like fragrances and mold and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I noticed on days when I drank the tea, I didn't sneeze at all. 
And I did some research and realized that um, nettles an antihistamine and it cuts out a mucus production. And this changed my life so much. Wow. I became a nettle evangelist. I started telling everybody about nettle. Uh-huh. I had my friends taking nettle capsules, drinking nettle tea, and I just started studying herbalism. I bought a lot of herbalism books and I would you know, sit in my dorm room at night when I was supposed to be doing other work and read herbalism <laughs> books. Um, and I started making my own herbal products for myself. And after college, when I was farming full time, I realized that I didn't quite want vegetable farming to be my career path, though uh-huh. I wanted to be farming plants. And I realized that when I was buying, I, when I wanted to make herbal products for myself, I was going online to large like bulk distributors to buy these products. And I right. thought, oh my goodness, I care I care so much about local food and feel like it's so important to eat food that, it, that is local to you. Uh-huh. And when we're asking plants to provide healing for us, we're asking them to work at an even higher level for mm-hmm. us. And I thought local medicine and local herbs is so important, but there was no one around me doing that. And so I decided to grow local herbs and I took a more form- formal herbalism training mm-hmm. and began practicing by growing some herbs at the vegetable farm I was managing at the time. And then during that season, found land um, in my community to start my own herb farm. Wow. Yeah. And here you are today. And here I am. This is I'm entering into my second season. Had a lot of learning uh-huh. in my first season. It was an incredibly <laughs> new venture for me. Before starting my herb farm, I uh-huh. had never stepped foot on an herb farm. Uh, so there's a lot to figure out and there still is plenty to figure out, but I feel much more empowered moving into my second season. So and the, so you've specifically said herb farm. That's a different term than what we no, normally see. We usually see vegetable or fruit farm, right? Right. So, so I exclusively grow herbs. I do grow some vegetables for my own eating. I have a small vegetable garden, mm-hmm. but as a farm, I only produce and sell herbs. Wow. All right. We're going to yeah. dig into that here um, yeah. in a little while. You, you used a term, and I want to make sure all of our listeners know what it is. You use the term CSA. Right. CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Mm-hmm. It's a type of business model. It's an agreement between the farmer and the customer who then becomes a member. Customers will buy a share of the farm's harvest mm-hmm. and pick up often produce, sometimes meat, sometimes dairy, but they'll pick up their food once a week, every other week, once a month. And the member then is buying a share of the farm and they're becoming they're becoming part of the farm community. Um, and this is a nice arrangement because it supports the farmer. They right. get paid up front. They know how big their market is. They know how many people they're growing for. And the CSA member is also buying into the inherent risk of farming. Right. And it's nice for the member too, because for instance, if you're if you have a vegetable CSA, you're trying new vegetables. You're getting vegetables every week that you are forced to eat, and thus you're incorporating more vegetables into, <laughs> into your, your diet. diet. There you go. And you're forming a relationship with the farmer. The farmer is there to ask questions, to talk about recipes, how to prepare the food. Uh-huh. Oftentimes, you're invited to come visit the farm. So I love the CSA model. I think I know it just creates such amazing relationships. Um, I really, really prefer doing business that way and getting to know the people that I'm growing for. Yeah, perfect. So in, in our pre-conversation, you introduced me to a new term. Mm-hmm. A term you made up, <laughs> yeah. Called and I, and when you shared it with me, I was. Uh, what was my reaction? I think you were like, "What was? What is that?" Yeah, and I'm so so incredibly excited about what you're doing, mm-hmm. and I and I just want to tell the world about it. So, <laughs> t- 
tell me about what a CSW is. Well, Locust Light Farm has a community-supported wellness program. Oh, my God. So I'm getting chills right now when you say that. It's like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, how cool is this? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. So we grow about an acre and a half of medicinal herbs, Uh and we dry most of those herbs. We process them into herbal products. So we make herbal teas. We make bath blends. We make herbal tinctures, which are Mm. liquid herbal extracts. Mm -hmm. We make massage oils, healing salves. Um, We even do things like bath salts, herbal vinegars. We make legal herbal smoking blends. And we distribute these products through our community-supported wellness program. So members sign up for a share and they get herbal products once a month. We offer wellness shares, which are more medicinally focused. Uh Um, So that's more of the teas, the tinctures, the salves. And members get a lot of educational information about how to use them. Right. And wellness members also can customize their shares to suit their own wellness needs. And then we offer decadence shares, which are more based in flavor and fragrance and enjoyment. So those are culinary products like infused olive oils, vinegars, honeys, and body products like uh-huh. massage oils, bath salts, etc. And I love the decadent shares. I would never want to imply that they are any less medicinal than the wellness shares. Right. But they're a little less directly uh, medicinal. They're just ways of working herbs into your life um, mm-hmm. that are really enjoyable and pleasant and fun. Beautiful. So here's the cool thing about what you're doing. You don't mm-hmm. just deliver them in your area. I can get I'm in. You're in Pennsylvania. I'm in Phoenix. I can get one, right? You absolutely can get one. Yeah, I ship them all over the country. Nice. So yeah. tell, our, tell our listeners how they can get one. You can sign up on my website. My website is www.locustlightfarm.com. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of information about the CSW on the website. If you're interested, you can look on my blog and see what all the past shares have been. Uh-huh. If you're curious about what a share would include. And then you can sign up right on my website for a share. Fantastic. How cool mm-hmm. is that? Yeah. All right. So now let's get into growing herbs. How is yeah. growing herbs different than growing vegetables? It is completely different. Um, Herbs have an entirely different set of growing requirements than vegetables. I think it's analogous to to keeping domestic animals as pets Mm -hmm. versus keeping wild animals as pets. Or the biggest analogy that I like to use is, you know, it's quite easy to get domestic animals to breed in captivity. You know, it's very easy to get like cows or goats to breed in captivity right it's very hard to get pandas to reproduce in captivity yeah exactly and herbs are much more like pandas Uh, Um, many herbs are one step away from being wild so if you think about about how vegetables have evolved they have co-evolved with humans humans and vegetables have grown together to support each other's needs and thus we understand each other's needs very well right Herbs are not like that. Herbs throughout almost all of history have been foraged from the wild. Uh Um, So so these are wild plants that we are using. There are some some herbs, a very small group that are called like herbal cultigens that have been used in European herbalism for a very long time. And so they're easy for us to cultivate. We understand them better, but most herbs are more wild. 
so now that more people are using herbs, we need to grow them because they're being overforaged and it's just not sustainable for us. There, there are lower native populations or lower wild populations and also more people, there are just more humans on this earth that are using them. Right. So it is very sustainable for us to grow them, you know, using sustainable methods uh, to grow them for our own use. Um, so these differences they really vary from herb to herb. The biggest thing I will tell anyone about growing herbs uh-huh. is that you need to learn what the conditions are for each specific herb that you're trying to grow. Right. So, you know, so that means thinking about how does that herb grow in the wild and then trying to simulate that. Hmm. Um, and this begins, this begins at germination. If oh, you're right. Right. So if you're someone who is really interested in growing medicinal herbs, unless you have an amazing herb farm near you, you're probably going to be buying seeds and starting seeds, which I know can be challenging for people. And when you're starting those seeds, you really um, should do some research to figure out how to get the seeds to germinate. Many herb seeds need to be exposed to light to germinate. Oh, this activates yeah, chemical uh, protein in the their uh-huh. seed their seed shell. So many, yeah, many herb seeds will need light to germinate. Many also need a period of cold stratification to germinate. Mm, mm-hmm. So if you think about an herb in the wild, like say a weed, say, you know, mugwort is something that grows around here in the wild. Uh-huh. You know, mugwort goes to seed in the fall, drops its seeds. And at least here in Pennsylvania, those seeds fall to the soil, the damp soil, and they freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw all winter until finally in the spring they thaw and then they germinate. So you can simulate that either by sowing your seeds in a flat and leaving them outside exposed all winter. Uh Or what I do, which is a bit of a safer bet because it's a more controlled environment, I'll mix my potting soil, put it in little baggies, put the seeds in the damp potting soil in the baggies and label it when they go in and then when it needs to come out and they stay in the fridge for anywhere from ah. two weeks to three months usually. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's the first big difference. Another big difference is that herbs want a huge variety of soil conditions. So I spent a lot of time researching and developing my own potting soil. Oh, yes. And then in my first year when the herbs weren't germinating, you know, I was thinking, are they not germinating because I created a poor potting soil are they not germinating because they're herbs and they take longer to germinate you know who knows what's going on did i not stratify them the right way right so i will just i'll just throw this out there now for listeners there are three and three primary and mostly only three excellent books out there about growing herbs Uh the first excellent one um for people who are growing them on like a smaller much smaller scale would be the medicinal herb grower by Mm -hmm. richo ketch um, that's C-E-C-H, that has a lot of information about mixing your own potting soil and different creating different little microclimates for your herbs. Um, the next one is the Chinese Medicinal Herb Grower. And the other book, which just came out last July, is the Organic Medicinal Herb Farmer. Those are three great books that I just want to throw out there for listeners. Perfect. So in mixing your potting soil for herbs, almost all herbs will want much lower fertility than vegetables. They're going to want low fertility and pretty good drainage. So I have a basic potting soil that I use, and then some herbs want even better drained soil. Uh-huh. There are some herbs that prefer drought conditions. So um, I'm, I'm going to stop you here because I, yeah. I, I want to know what, what you mean by 
lower fertility? When I say lower fertility, I mean that when I mix my potting soil, for instance, I use equal parts compost. For compost, I use organic mushroom mulch. Uh-huh. I use equal parts compo- compost and my what I call the water retainer. Um, so some people will use peat moss for that. Uh-huh. I use coconut core right. because it's more sustainable. Yep. So I use equal parts compost to coconut core and one third of that in sand, quartz sand. Uh. So that's the base. And then I use, you know, I have some additional amendments that I use for uh, nutrients, but that's the base. Right. If so, you were growing vegetables, you would want more compost than whatever your exactly. water retainer is. So when you're saying lower fertility, um, the compost provides the fertility and you're putting two thirds of a basically non-fertile amendments in your in your mix. Right. Yeah, interesting. Okay, good. Yeah. And then in my fields, I have two fields. One had been in production for a long time. One was a hay field that I plowed and have turned into a field. Uh-huh. The hay field, I applied a very light dressing of compost to the entire field last year, and I will not be doing that again this year. The garden that had been in production and has really beautiful, healthy soil, I have not applied any compost. Interesting. Um, so herbs just overall are going to want less fertility than vegetables. Okay. Yeah. So this is a reason why many people will tell me, I tried growing thyme, I tried growing rosemary, I tried growing lavender, I tried growing mint, and it dies. It's because you're probably giving them yet over over fertility and too much water. So many herbs also don't need as much water, which is nice for anyone because many of them means you don't have to irrigate them. You don't have to worry if you leave for a weekend and go on a trip, even if they don't get any water, they're fine. Yeah. Cool. So, so why do you think that medicinal herbs are uniquely well-suited to grow in an urban environment? Well, we've just been talking about one of the reasons, which is that so many herbs want unique types of growing conditions. And I think that if you're someone who's growing in containers, you are uniquely prepared to provide that for them. Uh So it would be very easy to have, you know, this containers in the shade, this containers in the sun, you know, this container is a little more rich in nitrogen, Mm -hmm. whereas this one is very low fertility. And then this is the container that I keep really dry. Uh, Like it's a drought most of the time. Uh And I think that would be a really amazing thing to see would be an, like an urban farm that has completely different little microclimates in each right. container. Uh-huh. Another reason is that there are some amazing medicinals that only grow in the shade. And if you're oh. someone who doesn't have a lot of sun, right. you can grow some really high value medicinal plants in the shade. You want to, and if you're researching those plants, you want to look at plants that grow in the forest. Um, you oh, have yes. blue cohosh, you have black cohosh, you have golden seal, uh-huh. Solomon seal, lady slipper, wild yam. These are all also plants that are very, very expensive. Oh yeah. So that's really a really special thing about growing herbs. Cool. The other reason is that you get such a high yield from a small amount of space for herbs. Oh yeah. I mean, you get, you get, you just get a very high yield from herbs. Uh-huh. And if you're someone who really uses herbs, they they can be expensive. Oh yeah. Though also, I will say, it is. You know, you can if you're someone who lives in an urban area, you can grow your own food. You also do have the option of going to a farmer's market and getting pretty high quality food. That's not true of herbs. 
I mean, oh, if you're not growing it yourself or if you don't know of a local farmer, mm-hmm. there's no other option other than going online to a bulk distributor and getting your herbs. Right. So you're just growing a product that you don't have that much access to otherwise. And something like if you grow your own lemon balm or peppermint or nettle or dandelion and you taste what that tastes like, oh, it is yes. very different than if you get it from a large distributor. Uh-huh. Even if you get it and you dry it, that dried herb is still, you know, quote unquote, way more fresh uh-huh. than anything that you else that you could be buying unless yeah. you're buying it from an herb farm. Right. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So top three herbs for growing in an urban environment or maybe the top three easiest herbs to grow. Um, hmm. give, give me, give me three. Three. Yeah. Okay. I will say I've mentioned it a few times. My foremost herb is nettle. Interesting. Nettle is considered a great Western adaptogen. Adaptogen is something that supports the body's nonspecific response to stress. Oh, right. Nettle is safe for almost everyone, I will say. Mm -hmm. Nettle can be taken every day. You can't take too much of it. And it supports so many body systems. It's... One of the most nutritive herbs, that nettle and parsley are some of the most nutritive herbs. Nettle is very high in many vitamins and minerals mm-hmm. and trace minerals. You can eat it like spinach when it's young. You can make a tea or you can tincture it. And it blends well with many other things. Um, it's just, it's so healthy. I really recommend it for anyone. Cool. Okay, that's one. Yeah, nettle. The next one that I would say, I would say probably lemon balm. It's easy to grow. Uh-huh. It's delicious, um, and it will it will make you happy. Lemon balm is a cheerful herb. It's oh, used nice. as a mood uplifter. You can use it fresh in salads. Uh-huh. It's really yummy in food, um, and it just makes the most delicious tea on its own or with others. I also I like to make herbal simple syrups to uh-huh. make herbal cocktails. Oh, nice! Yes, of um, course. Lemon balm, prime for that. Perfect. Okay, number three. If you have a very small amount of space, uh-huh. I would say comfrey. Oh, um, comfrey. Tell you me can about have, comfrey. You can have one comfrey plant, uh-huh. and that will be way more than your personal comfrey needs. Comfrey is an extremely useful plant. Uh, it's very, very, very healing to the skin. And one of the one of the things that makes it so healing is that it speeds up cellular proliferation. Oh. So if you get a cut and you put a comfrey salve or a comfrey oil on it, uh-huh. it will heal that cut very quickly. The amazing thing is that it does that because comfrey itself has those properties. So if you have a comfrey plant, you can cut the plant entirely back to about a few inches above the ground uh-huh. three to four times a year, and it will completely regrow faster than you have seen a plant grow. Wow. It's really amazing. You can take it as tea. Um, it's healing internally. There's some conflict with the FDA in that. Um, if you drink about 15 times your body weight, in comfrey tea, it can harm you. Oh. <laughs> um, that's my disclaimer. If you drink... 15, 15 a, times your body weight. Right. Yeah, okay. Good. In comfrey tea, it can be harmful, so no one should do that. If you drink about four cups a day because you've recently gone through surgery or have some sort of you know internal situation that you need healing for, uh-huh. that should be safe. Wow. But externally, it's extremely safe. And one comfrey plant you know, is way more than your needs. Also, comfrey and nettle are both really used um, to compost other plants. Comfrey has very large, broad leaves. Uh-huh. It can be used um, 
as mulch for other plants and it's going to be giving your other plants a lot of nutrients. Um, and nettle is also used. It's great in compost. It's used a lot in biodynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah. Cool. So I recently got a comfrey plant. Um, from, <gasps> you did? Yeah. And I was told that apparently they're sterile and they you grow them by root cuttings. Is that the case? I haven't heard that they're sterile. Okay. I will tell you, it's very difficult to get their seeds to germinate. Ah, okay, good. And they're very easy to uh, propagate by root cuttings, yes. Yeah. So you can just take a shovel and completely cut your whole comfrey plant in half and replant both of those. Herbs are much hardier than vegetables because yeah. they are wild. They're much hardier than vegetables. Yeah. Something else I would like to say to round out the discussion of how herbs are different to grow than vegetables. Please. Is that when you grow a vegetable in healthy soil mm-hmm. the vegetable is taking up the nutrients from the soil and you are eating when you eat the vegetable you eat those nutrients it's just trans right. transferring those nutrients onto you mm-hmm. so that's why you want your soil to be very nutritive that's not the case for herbs it's the case with some herbs like your annual herbs like basil parsley um, and something like nettle that's very nutritive for most herbs when when you take the herb you are taking the benefits of their immune system so you're taking an herb that imagine it's growing in the wild this plant is very stressed it might be experiencing drought it might be experiencing animal predation it might be experiencing insects this plant's immune system is being stimulated and set off and then when you eat it you're or when you take it you're taking their immune system so you don't necessarily want herbs that are coddled oh um So you're growing herbs for their medicinal potency. And this is another part of the game. You know, you could have a Tulsi plant that you give a lot of compost to, Mm -hmm. and it might be a beautiful Tulsi plant, but that plant might not be quite so medicinally potent as a plant that was under a little more stress. Right. Now, you don't want to kill your herbs. You want to give them a fighting chance. But but it's just – it's something nice to keep in mind if you're you're worried about them or if they do look a little stressed or if you have to go away for the weekend, you know, and they didn't get water. But also herbs do herbs really respond well to your intention and if you are growing them with yeah. the intention of creating medicine and wanting them to be healing and giving them a lot of love, uh-huh. they're gonna give you that healing for sure. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I got one more question for you and then we're gonna shift. Mm-hmm. And that's how do you harvest dry and use medicinal herbs that you grow? So again, the first thing you wanna do is think about what part of the plant you're harvesting. Oh right. So some herbs Valerian, ashwagandha, echinacea root, you're harvesting the roots. Right. Comfrey, nettle, you're harvesting the leaves. Chamomile, calendula, echinacea, flower, Mm -hmm. you're harvesting the flower. When you are harvesting the root, you're either going to be harvesting the root in the spring or the fall because that is when um, the energy of the plant is still oh, right. within the roots. Yep. If you're growing a plant for roots, you want to know if you can ha- what year you're going to harvest it. For instance, ashwagandha um, out here in Pennsylvania is an annual. You're going to harvest that root in your first fall because the plant is not going to survive the winter. Exactly. Echinacea, you're not going to harvest that root until its third year. So again, do your research about Uh, what you're harvesting. Um, If you're harvesting a plant for the leaves, Uh you're going to harvest the plant before it flowers because then it's most of its energy is still going to be in the leaves. Perfect. And you usually want to harvest about, depending on how tall your plant is about the, well, about the top um, third to two thirds of the plant. Oh, right. So you're harvesting that. And so 
I'll talk about processing after, but so leaves, you're harvesting the top third to two thirds of the plant before Mm -hmm. the plant flowers. If you're harvesting just the flower, you want to harvest the blossoms and like the day that they blossom or the day after. Um, and you want to harvest those blossoms mid morning after the dew has dried before the midday sun. Mm -hmm. Many, there are many plants that use both the leaf and the flower like St. John's wort oh, right. um, and yeah. yarrow would be mm-hmm. two good examples. And in that you're harvesting, you're going to harvest about the top six inches of the plant. Mm-hmm. When you're harvesting a plant for both the leaves and the flower, you want to harvest it when the first blossoms have begun to open, but they are not all open. Got it. <laughs> it's very specific. Yeah. Well, and it, 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 it... <laughs> I can get it. It's. I mean, it's. Uh-huh. You're raising a lot of different things, and it's a bit complicated. So I can completely it's, get that. Yeah, it is. It's a whole different puzzle that you're working with. Yeah. So Amanda, I'm going to shift on you here, and I want you to talk about right. a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what what you learned from it. Mm. Well, I will tell you. Before I started my farm, I had not stepped foot on an herb farm, so there are plenty of ways oh, that my I failed. Gosh. Really? Um. Hold on. I got to know something. <laughs> when did you start your farm? I started the farm in January of 2015. So, so I started the farm, I mean, started with the planning and the seed ordering, et cetera. Wow. So less than two years old at this point, actually less than a year and a half old. Yeah. This farm. is just the beginning wow. of my second season. Congratulations. Okay, go. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I will say the biggest failure, if you will, would be germinating many of the first seeds. I started... I started, sowed about 75 varieties and I would say probably about 45 really germinated in a way and grew to the point that I could plant them. Uh I anticipated that that would happen because I knew that herb seeds are very difficult to germinate and I wasn't, I just wasn't going to know how to do all of them, um, which is why I planted so many. So I will say diversity there. Uh Um, I you know, I knew that not all my plants would come or not all my plants would thrive or maybe things would happen that I wasn't prepared for. So I planted a very wide variety so that I would definitely have a lot of plants to choose from. And the other thing was that I germinated them in different ways. So I mentioned that, um, many seeds need a period of cold stratification. Right. My first year I stratified half of them in the refrigerator, half of them in an unheated greenhouse. Um, just to see what would be better. So I think that trying many different things, knowing that some of them will fail, mm-hmm. is a good way to do it. And I found that it really was better to stratify them in the refrigerator. Oh, um, It was more steady. And I'm so glad that I did that this year because if you've heard, uh, we've had a very mild winter here oh, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Very, very mild. And I don't think that if I had stratified them outside, it would have been enough um, for all the, my seeds to germinate successfully. Right. Cool. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success well, my goal uh, with Locust Light Farm is to empower people in their own health. I want my customers, I want my CSW members to feel like they have agency in their own wellness, to feel like if there is, you know, if there's something wrong that they're not quite sure about, that they might be able to turn to herbs first, or if they're having a minor health condition, but it's really getting in the way of their life, that they know which herbs to turn to or how to turn to herbs to help themselves right or to feel like preventative care is important and mm-hmm. preventative wellness care is really important i do a lot with um lymphatic cleansing and with breast health and like breast massage lymphatic massage uh-huh. um you know for preventative care and i want people to feel empowered in that so when a csa member comes to me and says or a csw member comes to me and says 
you know, I was getting really sick and I drank this tea and it helped me feel so much better. Mm. Or now I'm making my own Mm -hmm. flea and tick spray for my dogs using herbs because I feel like I can do that. Or when someone says, you know, I have a cold coming on, I need some yarrow. And I think, ah, you know to use yarrow for your cold (laughs) because it will cut down on your mucus production. (laughs) That makes me feel great because that's exactly what I want to do. I want people to be able to be more independent in their wellness. Yeah. Perfect. So what drives you? What's your big why? As I said, this is a tough one for me Um, because I really, I have two. The first, which has really been the driving factor for me in my entire life Uh is the land. Mm. I grew up with a farm in the family, a beautiful mountain property. And I grew up feeling very, very, very connected to the land in the mid Atlantic. And it was always very painful for me to see that developed too quickly or to see it underappreciated or Uh just to see it being wounded and not cared for. And I knew from a young age that I wanted to spend my life doing something that helped humans to interact with the land in a way that was sustainable and in a way that honored and respected and expressed gratitude for the land. Nice. So that's my primary motivation. And Uh sometimes I joke that this whole farm is just a way of funding myself to be outside every day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that one. (laughs) But that's not completely true because I will say that my second motivation really is empowering others in their own wellness. Uh I want people, the people around me to feel that, you know, wellness is their birthright. You know, wellness is our natural state and we can achieve that from our own inherent knowledge and from the wisdom that is in the land and the wisdom that's in the plants and the wisdom that's been passed down from us. And I want everyone to feel empowered that 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 wellness is their life experience. Yeah. Perfect. So I'm all about education and I have to know Mm -hmm. what book has been most influential in your life in this process. Oh, goodness. There are so many. I am such a book nerd. But I will say the book that continues to give me the courage to run my own farm and the book that helps me every time I'm feeling frustrated or feeling trapped or like it's scary to be 26 and own my own business Uh um, is illusions by Richard Bach. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. You know, whenever I, (laughs) whenever I feel trapped or very frightened, Uh I read that book and it, it just feels like a reality check that the world around us is, it is an illusion that we make, that we create for ourselves and that we create our own reality in every moment. And each one of us actually is free to do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And that's the scariest feeling for me when I feel like I'm not free or I have to be working into someone else's system. And that book always Mm. reminds me that if I'm opting into a system, I'm the one opting into it. And then I'm, you know, I'm consenting to it and I'm consenting to maneuver within that. But also that I'm creating my own reality in every moment. And actually I'm responsible for that. And I need to take responsibility for my choices. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, along those lines, I would say if what you want isn't there, make it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the job you want isn't there, make it yourself. If the book you want to read isn't there, make it yourself. If those seedlings aren't there, if that medicine isn't there, make it yourself. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Amanda. It's been a treat yeah, getting you, to Greg. chat with you. It's been wonderful. Absolutely. How can our listeners get a hold of you? My website is locustlightfarm.com. Will you spell that? Yes. 
L O C U S T L I G H T F A R M. Perfect. Dot com. Uh huh. And my email address is locustlightfarm at gmail.com. And we are also on Facebook and on Instagram. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.